0: It's your host George Osborne here and we're back with another episode that's looking at the making of another great British game. This week's episode is looking at another big independent here, and in particular it's looking at what happens if you accidentally end up falling in love with boxes because this game has got a lot of square and rectangle boxes in it and yet somehow remains somewhat magical. <laughs> Tom's Was Alone was first released in 2012. The game, which initially didn't really do much in terms of sales, became one of indie devs' quiet sleeper hits. Mike Biffle's first release ended up garnering significant attention, ending up with the game winning a BAFTA for the narrative performance put in by Danny Wallace, and its heartwarming story managed to captivate players from across the world. How, though, did we arrive at a game that's all about rectangles? And why did we end up caring quite so much about the fate of these little characters, which, of course, was led by little old Thomas? I decided to catch up with Mike Biffle, the creator of Thomas Was Alone, to find out all of this, including how to properly pronounce anthropomorphize. Thank you very much for for coming on to the 30 Years of Play podcast, Mike. Um, the first question that I've got for you is actually just about you. One of, one of the really important questions we've had for this podcast has just simply been to ask how the people who've made the games that we're covering got into the industry. So can you just tell us a bit of your story about how you ended up in the video game sector?
1: Yeah, so um, I think like a lot of kids, obviously I was into computer games. They were was, they was, they was kind of special for me because I didn't really have them at home. It was definitely something I did more around friends' houses, um, kind of more snuck any access I could to games. Um, got a PC uh, at some point and managed to play some like FPSs, but largely just like shareware stuff and kind of not very good games. You know, I have I still haven't played Mario. Um, I still haven't played like the original and best games. I was playing all the trash, um, and uh, and yeah, basically just was into it. Figured I'd like to work on them at some point. Um, when I did my A levels, there were no kind of game focused or media focused things going on so i just kind of built a syllabus of things i thought would be useful so things like um graphic design um 3d design uh, photography theater studies that kind of stuff stuff i thought would be useful to working in games didn't think to do maths didn't think to do coding um which which was not was not super bright um but did do those things and then and then when i went to university uh, originally went to study animation because i thought animation was the thing you did in games because I, th- I assume computers did all the rest of it um but then was kind of shepherded towards a game design degree um in the actual interview at the uni and yeah it, it went well and and luckily graduated at a point where the uk industry was booming um and found a job relatively easily which is something i'm you know obviously incredibly grateful for um and then just kind of worked up from there did did worked on the worked on a few uh, licensed games. Worked on kind of PlayStation Two era stuff, and then slowly but surely um, built up skill and experience. And then and then yeah, Thomas was alone became a hobby project that I made in my spare time that, that kind of did well.
0: That's fascinating though because i mean you know when we've talked to a lot of people i, I would say that no one else so far has said i didn't play mario i
1: think anyone who's played thomas was is probably aware that i never played mario <laughs> i think the gaps in my knowledge are very apparent
0: it, it, it is quite ironic as well with thomas was alone obviously sort of that, that those platforming elements and it's just like imagine if you imagine if you'd played one of those platformers what could it have been eh but um
1: it could have been much better that's what it could have been well, you know.
0: well this i mean so one one of the questions was that I had as a result of that was what did you learn from all of those games that you were playing? You know, you were saying that you were playing, you know, basically sort of like the equivalent almost like of the sort of shovelware because that will give you quite a different perspective on things. What did you really take from those games? Because you still came out of playing all of those titles loving playing video games. But what did that teach you as someone who's now sort of looking back on it as a designer? What did you learn from those games?
1: Um, I think think I've always had this respect for for the for the not perfect game you know for finding the fun in something that's that's not you know a nine out of ten and i think that's that's served me well like that's definitely um helped me to be a better designer i think uh, you know when you're playing so like one i remember i was a big star trek nerd and still am massively um and uh, i remember playing a game called um star trek hidden evil which was basically an, a, a tie-in to the movie star trek insurrection which was basically star trek resident evil and it was really like god bless whoever pitched that idea because it it was it didn't make any sense at all but it you know it, it, it had some nice ideas it had some stuff that worked um it slightly improved on some of the controls in resident evil so there were definitely people working on it who knew they were working on a clone but also wanted to kind of do better and improve on it and i think that was something that i was somehow aware of like i was aware that i was playing something made by people i think sometimes with really polished games uh you can kind of miss that you can kind of miss the 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 nuance of the the human beings behind the behind the scenes and i think weirdly with those kind of cheaper um you know not so original games you can you can really feel it um so I think that's I think that's probably the biggest thing I learned was it games felt more approachable. They weren't magical things made by geniuses. They were cool things made by people who were trying really hard. And, and that appealed to me. That was much more my my kind of mentality. I didn't I, I didn't want to be Shigeru Miyamoto. I wanted to be the guy who pitched Resident Evil Star Trek and somehow got away with it. That appealed to me.
0: Fantastic. And I I think um It it comes back to a really interesting piece of advice I can remember being given, which was treat everything as a 7 out of 10. Um, Whether it is something that's brilliant or something that's absolutely rubbish, treat it as a 7 out of 10, and that will help you find those places where something that feels perfect might not be and you can sort of detect almost like the sort of the seams around the edge there and then it also encourages you to find the good in something that maybe wasn't actually very good but you can see well maybe they were trying to do this or they were trying to do that and they kind of did this quite well um because it gives you that quite interesting sort of i I would say quite positive mindset i think in the end towards stuff that doesn't always hit the mark so but anyway so you you started out in your career and am i right in thinking you started out at blitz games
1: I did, yeah. They were the first people to give me a chance, yeah. So I went and I started there as a, um, I was brought into the weirdly, weird place to start. I was brought in as kind of a graphic designer slash game designer in their pitch department. So working on, ironically, working on pitches for um, largely IP-based stuff. Blitz did a lot of like Nickelodeon stuff and and other things. Um, and was always pitching very big and very boldly um and i yeah so i got to go into that team i lasted three months before i was fired um because i pissed everyone off um because i went i went into industry definitely with that i I, the same mindset i think a lot of people enter the games industry that like you know very much that forum culture of everything's rubbish and i'm gonna fix everything and, and i'm a genius um and and obviously really annoyed everyone around me with that attitude um then got kind of sent within blitz then fire me completely they removed me from that team i ended up in in purgatory making um uh children's games um but really enjoyed it actually got into it and 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 had some fun there then worked my way back down through the offices blitz you know the 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 the, the most um prestigious things were done on the on the first floor um so i i worked my way back down to the first floor worked on um dead to rights which was a kind of a triple a cover shooter with some really good brawling mechanics that i don't think many people played but it was genuinely i think really good i still i'm still proud of that game um i just did some kind of cutscene stuff on that and then worked my way back onto the team where i started which uh, was nice to kind of return having you know been out for a couple of years learning how to be a grown-up it was good
0: I think that's pretty much the plot of God of War as well, but with less sort of murdering of the ancients. So you know, that's that's a nice little 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 twist to it.
1: I wouldn't. I would. I definitely wouldn't describe it as murdering the ancients. The ancients are very much still with us.
0: <laughs> exactly, still with us and still supporting our industry, which is fantastic. Uh, that's right. <laughs> but it was. Yeah, but Blitz is important as well because you know, according to according to my information, my understanding, um, it was during a Blitz games game jam that the idea or the, the sort of first concept for Thomas was alone emerged
1: that's not true actually is
0: that not true Wikipedia has lied to me
1: oh sorry sorry yeah Wikipedia is <laughs> wrong um, no so it, it was made during a game jam but it was I mean it wasn't really a game jam it was, it was made during a weekend where I had nothing better to do um no, it was very much not involving Blitz, um, which I technically broke some of the rules of Blitz by making a game and releasing it, because <laughs> back then, you know, contracts would like claim ownership of everything you did, and I kind of, re- so I kind of naughtily released a game without permission, um, which I later found out, yeah, some people were very unhappy about that <laughs> at the time, but they, they were very kind and, and Blitz were cool, so they gave me the rights to it and everything, which is really was really cool of them and generous. Yeah,
0: no, 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 it certainly was in the end. I mean, you know, I've seen I've seen the sales figures, you know, at least the Wikipedia quoted sales figures, so that was very kind indeed. Um, but so can you just tell me, you know, so you were so saying you're sitting there at a loose end on the weekend and you decided to make a game. What was motivating you, first of all, to do it? And, and what was kind of like your inspiration behind it?
1: So in terms of like making stuff, I think the main thing for me was um, I played World of Goo. I remember that was the one that really... Inspired me because I I was working, you know, I was working like a lot of like most people who work in the games industry I was working, you know as a cog in a machine as one of a couple hundred people at the time in that studio Um, And you know, it was it was fun and I enjoyed the work I enjoyed the people I worked with but I also kind of had this nagging desire to do my own thing Um, And I always assumed it wasn't possible because the only industry I'd been in was like where teams were at least 30 people to make something Um, world of goo was kind of cool because that was a couple of uh, people from ea i think they'd broken off and done their own thing and it was almost like it was giving permission it was basically this game where it was you know you could tell it was made kind of quite cheaply but it was really good and it was made by at least i'm sure this isn't true but at least the marketing at the time was this game was made by two guys and that kind of inspired me and made me think. Well, you know, if they if they can do it, maybe I can give it a go as well. Um, that was very cool to me. And then yeah, so that was why I started making my own little things, my own little experiments in my own time. Um, I knew some programming from uni and and, and definitely tried to improve on that. Um, had a very big game for a very grand, stupidly over ambitious game. Started making that. Um, that didn't really go anywhere. So one yeah, one weekend me and a mate had watched um uh oh brother where art now you know the coen brothers movie yeah. and this by the way like you know politically layers of uh, incorrect but i watched that film and i thought well that'd be really interesting to have a game where you were a chain gang where you were kind of two characters chained together and you had to kind of swing each other off of stuff and and, and you couldn't move too far away from each other'd be an interesting set of mechanics and, and constraints in that and start building that over a weekend and then realised that that um, chains were really hard to program uh, to get the kind of the physics feeling good and working and, and reliable from a gameplay point of view. So didn't do that and just made one of the characters jump slightly higher. Um, and th- and that little prototype that that grew and I realised oh well you know there's if I can make one of them not not able to jump at all but really long or this one's really tall and can jump higher you know. And I had, you know, a game with four characters, a little flash thing, I think 20 levels, and and just uploaded it and people liked it. So it was, yeah, it, was, it, was, it kind of came from that, it was a uh, failing to achieve two other projects.
0: And, it, and what's really interesting there as well is, um, you know, you went and uploaded it, and you uploaded it as a flash game, right, so, you know, people could go, go and play it online. When did you really sort of realise that you had something that you felt you had to keep working on because you know there there seems to be having had a lot of these conversations especially with a lot of people who've been working sort of on on sort of more the independent games shall we say is that people had that moment where they saw something that changed their opinion on the game they were making, or change the way that they were approaching it. So, like when we chatted with um, Ollie and Phil from the Overcook team, and they were saying, you know, we had these grand pans for these enormous recipe books where you could make these really complicated recipes in game, and then we saw people struggling to make an onion soup and realized that was where our game was. So, when did you, upon releasing it, realize that you had something there that you really needed to hone in on?
1: So, I think it was the so it was on it was up on Congregate and Congregate. You can comment under the games like YouTube. Um, and what was weird was I started noticing people talking about the characters, um, which kind of surprised me because so the, it was about these rectangles, different jumping abilities, um, and the only reason it was called Thomas was Alone was because I'd gone for dinner with uh, with a mate and and he'd said well you, like while I was producing it he was like you are you going to call those I, like, I don't know Square Friends or something, and he said um, that doesn't sound pretentious enough. He was like the thing about indie games is it's got to be a bit more hipster. It's got to have like an emotional gravity to it. Um, so you should call it like Bill was sad, or like Susan had a slight headache or something. And I said, well, what about Thomas was alone? And he was like, that's brilliant. Yeah, that that, that people really think it's about something. Um, of course, it wasn't. Um, so I did that. I called it Thomas was alone, and then at the very end, it said Thomas was not alone because there were characters around him. And I didn't think anything more of it until I saw the comments where people were talking about Thomas as a character. And I realized that they thought the first rectangle they saw was Thomas because that was, because that was the context. So, so people were assuming that, rec- that red rectangle was Thomas. And they were starting to apply other personalities to the other characters. So like the character who couldn't jump as high, they were saying, oh, it must be annoying to be that guy. Um, and it was just this weird thing of realizing that people were really applying, you know this they were just assuming these were characters. they were they were truly reaching out and wanting to to believe in these to anthropomorphize these shapes. And I just realized there was something to that. And I thought, well, I, I could actually kind of write something in with that mindset of trying to work it out. There was one comment that was convinced it was Seinfeld fan fiction because they were they with all the, the four characters they saw on screen each correlated to a Seinfeld character it was stuff like that where I was like this is there's something to this people are really wanting to see character in these rectangles and, and maybe I can kind of kind of capitalize on that and do something interesting with it um so that was the that was the kind of the creative drive to do something was I realized oh I can actually make a make a game here that will connect
0: I mean it's great news for me because i'll be able to put the sort of seinfeld base intro at the start of the episode and it will feel completely natural so that's fantastic so that's great news for me in terms of the the, the edit uh, exactly I, you know i'm always hoping for the seinfeld door to be opened but um so okay so you you've, you've realized that these characters or well, what wasn't now becoming characters that people have started to build these attachments to them you've realized that something is there what was the next step from evolving Thomas Was Alone as a sort of small flash game project created over a weekend into an actual game for release?
1: So I started just treating it as a flash game because there was, um, oh, Machinarium is, was was doing quite well and that was just a flash game. So I thought, well, maybe I don't need to worry, maybe I, maybe I can do this in flash, maybe it doesn't need to be, um, maybe I don't need to learn a proper programming language. Um, and then my, um, my then um, colleague, uh, Imre, uh, decided to start his own company in London and asked me to go with him and, and join that. And I was boss of Studios um, to join them as lead designer. So I, I kind of had to take him up on that opportunity because, you know, he's a mate. And uh, and it was also really exciting what they were working on. I was interested in, in seeing what was up with that. So I went with uh, went with him to London. So I, moved, I ended up moving to London. And genuinely, the reason the game's in Unity is because... I didn't have any mates in London and I thought, well, good way to let's go and find some nerds in London that I can become friends with. Um, and there was a Unity meetup. Uh, I didn't really know what Unity was. I think it was the first ever London Unity kind of user group meetup thing. Um, and I just went along, just thought, well, that will be where all the nerds are. There'll be My, my people will be there. It'll be fine. Um, and was actually genuinely surprised by how good uh, how good the stuff people were making Unity was got chatting to a couple of the unity guys after the the user group and they kind of suggested be easy to make thomas was alone in that um so i so i did i i, I took it over and i started playing with it and yeah in a weekend i had like a rectangle moving around in unity it was terrible it felt absolutely awful really bad gameplay but it was on its way and that, that was the start of it
0: And how important, you know, do you think Unity was for your career and, you know, the invention of sort of a democratic game engine like this? Because um, we had a panel at... um egx resed a few weeks ago with a number of people who had essentially worked and, and have forged their lives within an independent development and the emergence of unity for them was sort of considered one of the sort of pivotal moments in the evolution of indie in the uk was that how you felt when you were starting to use it for the first time that this was something really significant that opened the door up to you or was it just a tool that you found just quite useful
1: I don't think I've I don't think I've ever thought about it as romantically as that. I guess I guess there's there's some there's some weight to that um, as a concept. I mean, obviously there are other engines. You know, there's Game Maker, there's Unreal. I think I think there was a a trend, and I think Unity. You could argue that Unity was a catalyst for it. That the success Unity had in the early days of indie kind of spurred on the other platforms to try and kind of compete with them, and kind of uh, you know, showed them how to how to appeal how to appeal to an indie audience. Um, so yeah, it was it was it's it's I I, don't, I honestly hadn't thought of it from that direction, but yeah, I guess there's some truth to that. Like it definitely gave me a suite of tools I could use to go and make something, and that were professional enough that I wasn't going to get too annoyed and frustrated with them. Um, in the early days, it wasn't great. Like in the early days, there were a lot of technical challenges with it. I mean, when we ported Thomas was Alone to console, um, we rebuilt it from scratch. If you have played Thomas was Alone on a console, you didn't play the Unity version. Um, you, you played a completely kind of new version written in completely different programming languages um, and different engines and all this stuff um, so it wasn't always perfect and I wouldn't want to put too much of a rosy tinge on that but that's fair enough it was just starting out um, but as a PC Mac platform back in the day it was yeah it was a great way to produce something really professional
0: so you, you go ahead you're making Thomas was alone in unity especially sort of the PC and Mac build focusing on prior to release um, And obviously you're putting a lot of time and a lot of effort into the design of it and making sure that sort of the mechanics work. But I think one of the things that really stands out for just about anyone who plays Thomas Was Alone is the narrative behind it, the storytelling, and obviously Danny Wallace's narration. How did that evolve alongside? Because, you know, you mentioned in terms of congregate, one of the key things that you identified was how much people seem to identify with these anthropomorphised anthropomorphized. Uh, it's a really hard resp- word
1: to say, isn't it?
0: It is. It is. I really thought I'd nailed it, and then I realised halfway through that I had messed it up totally. It. The
1: thing is, I think at the halfway point in that word, you want to keep pushing through. Like, it, it becomes, it's the, the fastest way is through. And I think you kind of you fight it, and that, maybe that's not the way to say anthropomorphize. Maybe you have to just kind of come at it sideways. I don't know. I, don't know.
0: I think you've just got to attack it just with confidence and, and see where you end up. But um, but so in in terms of you know broadening out the characters on these on these particular rectangles and squares, how did you go about doing that?
1: Um. So initially, not with voiceover. So initially, it was all going to be done with kind of subtitles and text on screen, um, and I was going to kind of. Have them appear in cool ways, you know, that kind of, I think, Splinter Cell Conviction had come out, and so they had all that thing where they had text embedded in the world, and I think like every other developer, I was like, that's really cool. Um, sorry, my dishwasher is going crazy as we talk. <laughs> um, and uh, I thought that would be interesting, I thought that would be something that would work. Um, and then I took that and put it into the game, and I realized that the level design was really, really overly reliant on it um the level design was i was building levels around what would look good with the text and i was changing the text so they would fit around the level design i realized that neither of those things was good like both of those were basically compromises that were making the the game worse so i decided to do voiceover i'd never written anything before um so i sat down and, and just started writing wrote it one christmas with kind of um kind of basically ripping off hitchhiker's guide and um and danny wallace um because he's a he's a really good author um so i'd stolen some of his kind of his joke structure and things like that um and i just tried to find a voice actor and and really couldn't find anyone who could deliver those lines as well as i wanted and just one one evening on twitter back in the early days just found danny wallace and messaged him and said can you be in my game please and and Danny's whole thing is he's a man who walks through life saying yes to stuff, so he 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 went for it, and that was uh, very generous of him. So yeah, it was um, it was it was weird, and it was weird to suddenly be seen as a writer because I'd never done it before. I'd, I'd written like documentation for games, and I I like to think I was quite funny, you know. I was I like to think I was down the pub making people laugh, but I'd never sat down and actually tried to write fiction. You know, I did that classic thing of going and buying all those you know those awful kind of. Um, how to write a screenplay in three three days books those kind of things or um and read and read all of those and kind of taught myself very quickly how to do it as kind of a problem solving thing and was pretty shocked when like people liked it that you know that was that was not what i was expecting and it's kind of i guess more than anything that's the thing that's shaped the career since thomas was alone is that um is that i'm a writer now apparently Um, And I have to keep doing it, (laughs) even though I I still I still feel I'm a hobbyist with that stuff. But it it kind of it kind of worked out.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But once once a writer, always a writer. That's that's it's what happens. But what was it like working with Danny on this game as well? Because, you know, I, I mean, it was, I mean, by all accounts, a small low-budget project done by you, mostly in your spare time in between doing stuff at Bossa. And then suddenly, you know, I mean, Danny Wallace, I mean, obviously the actual author of Yes Man. So, you know, like you say, just going through life saying yes to things. I mean, what was it like between you two when you were working on this thing? Because I'm assuming that it was probably a little bit more unusual than his standard VO project.
1: Well, I was lucky because he'd done Assassin's Creed um so he had and he's a danny uh, is a gamer he used to he used to write for a i forget which one but he used to write for a gaming magazine so he was he was into it as a hobby and generally like and i found this throughout like the the the, the games i've made is the actors who are often really great in the vo booth are the ones who who do play games so they understand the context of what they're doing and where it goes and and and, and how important it is and where it's important and why it's important um, and Danny already had that because he he would played games and he'd also had the experience of doing VO for Assassin's Creed he played um Sean Hastings in the first few of those so he he had that skill already and knowledge um so I, yeah I think as far as he was concerned it was a a fun way to spend an afternoon um obviously for me I was terrified um and the thing that's really with Danny the one thing I really remember feeling because obviously I was terrified I'm always terrified until an actor shows up for a, a part and I've had the privilege of working with some, some really great actors and, and some really great actors recently. Um, and I'm always scared. I'm always intimidated by, by the aura of, uh, of, of them and, and what, they, what they've done and what they've achieved. Um, with Danny, my one memory I really have is of him walking in and being far cooler than I expected. You know, he showed up in a, in a leather jacket and he was kind of cool and trendy and interesting. And in my head, he was, you know, a nerd like me. Um, so I was immediately went into kind of 12 year old panic of this guy's cool. Um, <laughs> so that was that's my, my my overwhelming memory of the recording session. But yeah, honestly, other than that, he was brilliant. He was um, I think because the tone of the humor that that was in there was similar to stuff he'd done before, he he got it very quickly um and knew what we were going for and he ad-libbed a couple of lines and stuff like that which was fun um Danny Danny always ad-libs which is great because you find some really cool stuff in the room um and yeah he was great that's uh, that, it, it's
0: amazing as well i love the way that sort of almost sort of schoolyard instinct kicks in of oh dear lord someone someone is cooler than me i oh don't know how am i going to respond to this um so you've gotten the game to a point where it's readying for release so it's about 20 it's 2012 that it releases um and i mean when you're lining up to the release what are you what were you hoping for from the game so i always had
1: i always had um three a hierarchy of three desires of like of of how successful i saw it being first one was that it bought me um a couple of computer games that was my lowest bar was like well it'll sell you know if it makes a few hundred quid i'll get a couple of cool games and you know some lego or something you know i'll treat myself the next tier up was i want to go to disney world because <laughs> i'm a big <laughs> i'm a big theme park nerd and So i was like i've never i'd love to i'd love to go over to disney world let's do that so that was i guess disney world at that point would have been for me and my girlfriend few thousand and then i had the 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 my my most lofty dream uh was they would give me a year's salary um, and that that would then give me um, the security I needed to kind of quit the day job and start making indie games on my own. So that was that was those were my tears, and I was, yeah, that was those were those were the levels of success I I assumed. Like a year's salary was basically as big as I thought it would get, um, and I was right because um, the uh, the initial launch it barely made enough to go to Disney World. <laughs> like like the game came out um in july 2012 or june late june 2012 um and uh yeah it didn't bomb but it didn't it made i think a couple of thousand pounds like it wasn't a big thing and i went back to my day job and and was pretty much resigned to that
0: and then so it made a couple of thousand pounds it did all right you know it's it's that sort of kind of quite standard indie first game by the sounds of it you know it's like that, that kind of success it wasn't uh, embarrassing um
1: but yeah, it was. It wasn't like it didn't blow up.
0: But then, in the longer term, you know, I think, especially when we sort of look back at, um, you know, the history of indie development in this country, and we look, we look at the games that have inspired so many creators. I think Thomas was alone has gone on to become quite a landmark hit and obviously it went on to sell many 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 more copies especially after it um, started going out across all sorts of different platforms so ps3 and Vita in 2013 in 2014 it first pops up on ios and android and then obviously ends up on xbox one ps4 and, and wii u as well i mean how did the game kind of accelerate was there any sort of spur behind it that sort of led it to go to the next level shall we say
1: there were there were kind of there were two big inciting instance the the first one look at me using writing words like i'm a writer it's awesome um the um the big one was steam and uh, back then and this is this is still weird to describe to like newer devs who who weren't there but back then steam you know if steam put you on the platform you know you were on the front page for every user for like two three weeks um and it you know, obviously that brought a lot of eyeballs and and, and changed lots of lives um so I I got I managed to get onto Steam took till November um of kind of just begging trying to get a contact there showing up at events I knew Valve people would be at just kind of basically bullying them until they let me uh release the game on Steam. So that was that was the big one and and so that happened in November and then within a, within a month of that happening I'd made a year's salary um, which was amazing and that was like i said that was my that was my goal i remember i literally hit the threshold of having made my yearly salary at new year's eve um of 2012 so you know best part of six months since the game had released hit that number um and then the next day weirdly the first of january um total biscuit um did a did a youtube video and that then blew up and it had it had made that amount again after the next week so that was the point where that ball started rolling meanwhile um before it came out on steam um a guy on twitter again twitter comes up a lot in these stories uh a guy on twitter had kind of messaged me asking me about the font i'd used in the game so i you know going to a chat with this guy about typography and w- what fonts i'd used and and all of this stuff and he said oh that should you should totally put it on console and i said well i'd love that but you know it's a little easier to say it than to do it unfortunately and one day the opportunity might come along and he then you know removed his cape and it was uh, shahid at sony um who who had been kind of who at that time was trying to make um vita happen you know vita had, had fallen on kind of harder times and shahid was i think if not one of the then definitely then probably the voice within sony who was pushing let's make vita an indie console let's bring all of this content across that's cool now um and and get that get that to give the console a few more years which it absolutely did um and yeah he was instrumental in in saying right let's get this onto playstation um to which my response was i'll do it for vita but you've also got to let me put it on ps3 as well um which was a bit cheeky but somehow got away with that um and then that starts the ball rolling on the console ports and all of those things so so yeah it went it, that went well and that that's that those two kind of events of steam kind of getting with it and putting it on their platform and shy that sony kind of believing it as a potential console game both then just kind of stoked that fire and it went on and i think that's honestly that's a trait i i have um or at least very much did have at the time which is a kind of a stubbornness that I think the the realistic thing would have been to give up on it. And I think the advice I'd give people nowadays, if you know, if you make an indie game and it doesn't blow up for the first four months, probably move on with your life. Like it's fine. You'll make another game and that'll do better. But I think at that point, I was young and stupid enough that I just kept pushing, and and eventually, through you know, will and a couple of really helpful people, it it did it did kind of happen. Um, but that's terrible advice, and I hope no one listening would actually do that because it's stupid, although those who do, you know, maybe really it's that weird thing when you're giving advice about the indie games space. A, everything's so massively out of date. You know this is 2012, so things have changed a great deal. Um, but B, a lot of the, a lot of the success stories happen because someone did something very stupid and ill-advised and, and it's, a, so it's a very difficult thing to dole out advice because it's often very bad advice.
0: Yeah, but I also think as well in in terms of two of the things that you've identified there as well. I mean, in, in many ways, you were sort of at the. You were at the forefront of a couple of developments that that have taken place in the industry now over the sort of the past, well, depressingly enough, to say six or seven years. Oh, good lord, we're all getting old. Um, but I mean, you know, so for example, uh, YouTube. Um, influencers you know there's obviously a lot of talk now about influencer marketing and and the value of it as a sort of a promotional channel Thomas Was Alone in a sense was one of those those sort of first independent games to really get an uplift from that Um, and what you were talking about in terms of the PS Vita you know if we look at the Switch today and we look at how that has basically Nintendo's come up with this incredibly excellent strategy where they have their major first party releases which come out you know one or two big ones every year but then they're interspersed with so many good independently developed games that you can kind of go well i'm willing to wait six months for the next you know metroid prime game or whatever it is because i can go and grab undertale and i can go and grab this that and the other and go and fill those spaces and again you know thomas was alone was, was kind of at the forefront of that um but At a
1: time where there were far fewer of those excellent indie games as well, I think, yeah.
0: Precisely, precisely. And you, you were able to sort of ride that wave all the way upwards. And, and and speaking of riding that wave, you know, how much did Thomas Was Alone change your life?
1: Oh, completely. I mean, well, in terms of work, completely. Um, I uh, I got to quit my day job. I've been, you know, running my own team now for, as you say, like about seven years. Yeah. Um, so that's amazing and and obviously i have a degree of creative freedom now that i can basically kind of make whatever i want and in theory it will work out you know there's enough of an audience who and god bless them i'm so grateful they 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 buy what we make um and follow me as i jump from genre to genre and, and seem to be kind of okay with that um and then you know, for bigger things, there are there are you know the bigger partners take me seriously because of the success of Thomas was alone, which is great. And I've been able, yeah, to make a bunch of games I'm really proud of um, off the back of it. Personally, like you know, I, <laughs> I met the love of my life at 19, so like personally my my life's pretty much the same as it was. Um, I'm one of the I'm I'm very lucky to have a partner who's 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 put up with me all this time. Um, despite the the late nights and the the crazy work on Thomas was alone, and then the stress of running a company since then. Um, but yeah, it's it's been it's been amazing. It's been an amazing opportunity. Um, and I yeah, I think I think a lot of it comes down to what you're saying. I, I think when you say someone's at the forefront of something, that's a very polite way of saying they were in the right place at the right time. And I think I was. I think I was for whatever reason. I was just the dumb kid who'd made the rectangle game. That came out at the exact right moment to to ride that wave um so yeah i'm my my view on it is i'm going to take advantage of that you know i'm i'm i I lucked out uh for the first couple of games it was definitely a mentality of i got lucky i need to i need to take advantage and make you know something like volume like the game i've wanted to make since i was 14 i have to make that now because i might not get another chance um and now as i'm aging i'm realizing my priorities are shifting from like being the guy who makes the game i want to make to can i look after a team can i can i treat people better than i i think the industry sometimes treats them can i can i be a good person you know there's definitely like a transition that's now happening for me in terms of the goals moving away from just being a badass to wanting to like you know, create badasses and to support badasses, and I don't like the word badass as there's, there's some there's that that implies a personality type that that doesn't really fit with what we do. But yeah, I think there's a that's an interesting shift I've noticed as as time's gone on. Oh, fantastic!
0: Well, I think that's pretty much though the perfect place for us to end things. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Mike. It's much appreciated, and best of luck with whatever's coming next. It's it's exciting. I can't wait to share it. And that's it for the latest episode of the 30 Years of Play podcast. Remember, if you want to keep up with us, there are loads of different ways that you can do it. If you're looking for different places to listen to the podcast, you can find us on SoundCloud, on Acast, on iTunes and on Spotify. Remember that if you leave five-star reviews and other positive comments on our podcast feed, more people will be able to discover it, making it easier for more people to discover these fantastic stories behind these amazing British video games. If you want to keep up with the 30 Years of Play campaign in general, make sure you're following our microsite, www30 yearsofplayuk there we put up all of our podcasts but we also put up a load of other content too including some fantastic untold stories quizzes which have gone up recently and all other kinds of bits and bobs beyond that you can follow us on twitter you can follow our hashtag at hashtag 30 years of play, and you can follow us at 30 years of play on twitter and if you want to follow us in other places too you can follow us at uk underscore ie and you can follow me at george osborne That's it though for this week's episode. Thank you so much to Mike for joining us and thank you so much to Dave Houston for composing that fantastic piece of music for Thomas Was Alone. We'll be back again soon with another podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show and we will see you on the other side before you know it.